Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast for Stage 9 of the Tour de France, the last stage before the first rest day. We haven't had a Tour de France in a couple of years, which had nine stages straight in a row. This this was from Saint-Lénard-de-Nobla to Puy de Dome, a finish that hasn't been used for a number of years, a road that I don't even think riders can do a recon of, except for the day that ASO organized it. I think it was two days before the Dauphiné. And yeah, it's an up and down stage with a lot of elevation gain with short climbs, very, very hot conditions, well over 30 degrees. And then the Puy de Dome finish, which is in two parts. The first five and a half Ks are at 7%. Then a flatter section of 2Ks, and then the final ramp is 4.5Ks at 11.5% with steep pinches, 2Ks at 12% average. Really, really difficult finish. It's like it circles around the mountain, and there's no crowd on it. Uh, They blocked off the last 3Ks or so out of Clermont-Ferrand. Anyway, the big question, Benji, was who was going to chase? Because it was sort of 1-1 for UAE and Jumbo Visma. Mm -hmm. Pagaccia got dropped on Marie Blanc. Pagaccia dropped Vingegaard on uh, Coltere. And so who was going to pace for this sort of mountaintop finish? If anybody, and the answer was no one. <laughs> no one paced in the peloton indeed, which meant that the breakaway had free launch for the stage afterwards. But let's discuss the breakaway formation phase for a second here. We had riders going into there. Bernal, Cuiato, Cavagna all trying, but it was actually the first breakaway that actually went from the yeah. start. So... Paulus, Mohoric, Berte, which was very good on Marie Blanc for goal. Is again a Mathieu Jorgensen, Michael Woods with a Tagbadi Boivin, Campenards, De La Cruz, Lutsenko, Abrahamsen, Gregard, Burgodon, and Latour. So quite a few climbers with like a, a Tagbadi rider, but next to that also a few rulers in there that you would, before you watch the stage, you would argue that a Mohoric and a Campenards don't have a chance on the finishing climb and they need to attack before the final climb, if you see that group, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, that was the clear play. And Woods was living on borrowed time on this stage because he needed that tug buddy of Guillaume Bovin to, to monitor these people. And yeah, other people had that as well, like Gork Izagira, sort of. I think he was more a climbing option. I was hoping it would be Berte and Felix Gull in the breakaway. I think I picked Gull for the stage, but he mm-hmm. wasn't able to get in the break. And they would have still been happy with Berte. He was strong on Marie Blanc. But what does this say from the peloton that no one, well, I guess, if you're not UAE or Yumbo, Bora are not going to think Hinley can take time on this. Exactly. So they don't want them to necessarily do that because they also think, okay, on the climb itself, UAE and Yumbo are probably going to take control anyway, and we don't need to control the entire stage to see that happen. When it comes to other teams outside of UAE and Yumbo, you've got the likes of Ineos, who tried to get in the break but yeah, failed. With, with Martinez, Bernal, yeah. Martinez, Quiato, I think probably with some other eyes as well. Quick step with Cavagna, but completely failed getting in there as well. because. They wait until the gap is kind of already a minute to try and bridge, but that won't work. Eh? It was bizarre. So like the break's gone. It's got one minute. There's multiple riders with teammates in that breakaway group of 14 riders, like at least five teams with two riders. So they're going to pull and they're going to put one guy like a 
uh, Abrahamson for Gregard is going to just pull and yeah, Bovan for Woods. And then, yeah, it's a minute they start moving. And then Yumbo and UAE were like, no, there's no more break is done. We're shutting down the stage. Yeah. Like Van Aert, I think, blocked a quick step move. Yeah. And yeah, quick step a couple of days in a row. They've not, they've not done the break formation. They've not managed it well, uh, frankly. Yeah, I agree. Now, that was basically it when it comes to the break formation. But I do want to mention, we discussed all the teams except UAE and Yumbo. What do you think the reasoning is? Because if I think about those previous stages, you mentioned it before, there's a 1-1 right now before yeah. the stage starts. Pogacar did what he did at Tourmalet on goal today, dropped Vingigo, took time back. The day before, Vingigo spread his wings on Marie Blanc and flew away for a minute. So we've got a 1-1 situation and with a finish that looks a lot like Marie Blanc the last four kilometers, it's a different run-in, like there's climbing before the last four kilometers, but the last four kilometers of this climb, Puy de Dome, are steep. That kind of gives Yumbo some thought, maybe we can do something. But then again, they don't need to fight for the stage because they don't necessarily have the full confidence either that they'll take bonus seconds on Pogacar while Pogacar at UAE is also thinking, oh, are we 100% sure that if we control the stage that Pogacar will win the stage and the bonus seconds will be for ours? Does that show anything? I think you're right. It's just both are not confident. I, I still was... I still was surprised that UAE didn't pace mm -hmm. because I can't remember the last mountaintop finish that was like a basic, I mean, it's not a uni puerto, but yeah. that's a little bit simplistic. This was a hard stage to control, but I can't remember the last climb they, or stage like this they didn't pace and go for the stage win. And I think after today, maybe they'll, they'll rue not doing that. Um, but yeah, breakaway forms, it goes and no one chases. Jumbo Visma, they let it go out to like 10 minutes and it keeps going out. It even goes out to 16 minutes because no one in that break is a threat to anybody. They're like minute, 20 minutes plus back on GC. And the port's pacing, not much really happens in the stage, I don't think. Um, oh, no, 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 no. Also, a couple of bee stings, but some crashes. Yeah, Jorgensen got a bee sting in his yeah. helmet, which probably is not the most fun thing to happen. And Kalmajan crashed because they're, obviously, this entire stage, the starting spot was a memory of Polidor, because I'm pretty sure he's buried there after he passed yeah. away. And Alpsin got these, like, purple-yellow stripes on their shorts and so forth. And there was a fan that had, like, these, like, this thing across their caravan, like, a little rope thingy with, yeah. like, little Polidor shirts. And Kalmajan saw them from up close. Yeah, they, they took him out, and Steph Cross said yesterday as well that I think a spectator's flag or something yeah. took him out, so that was unfortunate. I was glad. I actually liked the climbs being fenced off. I know that's, you know, not the spirit of cyclismo, but <laughs> in COVID, it was actually much less stressful watching the climbs when, yeah, yeah it got fenced off and there's no one infringing upon like, the riders. Vincenzo Nibali, was it Alduez where he got, rode into a, well, a photographer, bumped into him, and he, he broke his back and was out of the Tour de France? I'm not sure. It was. Okay. Memories. Sad memories. Neebly, yeah, neebly memories. Anyway, what's clear, Benji's already mentioned it, we'll talk about the breakaway first, is that someone needs to fuga de la fuga. Because with this hilly terrain, with Bovin under pressure for Israel, a tug buddy of Woods, and with Woods being, you know, this climb is something that Woods probably could do well in from the GC group, frankly. It's a really good climb for him where he can be out of the saddle for a long period of time on steep, steep ramps. And the other guys in that group are nowhere near his climbing, except maybe a Berthe, maybe, who looked good on uh, you know, a short pull on Marie Blanc. But still, Woods was with the GC guys in the Basque Country Grand Depart, like the last six guys on the really steep ramp. So 
everyone has a he has a target on his back, so it's actually not the best situation for him. With Bovan gone, attacks start flying. Benji, there's attacks from yeah, Morich, Latour, Paulus, Jorgensen. People want to get up the road. I swear, Bovan was one of the first attacks of them all. Yeah, I know that's a bit strange. Me, <laughs> I expected Bovan to be the controlling rider for Woods in all these situations, yeah. and it seemed to be different. But the weirdest part about it was. I was expecting Woods to get completely fucked into a second split at that moment when those Morich attacks started happening. But the first group was a group of five riders, Jorgensen, Woods, Lutsenko, Gregor, and Burgodot, and went up the road. And Woods was in there in the final split for a bit because then we yeah. saw an attack by Kampenarts and Berthe behind, which closed that group again. But loads of attacks started flying again, right? Exactly. And this is from far out because this is the thing. Once a breakaway gets 10 minutes and mm -hmm. they, these are not riders who care about taking time back on GC like a Jai Hindley, yep. they no longer care about pushing the gap out to 15 minutes. They don't need 15 minutes to win the stage. So they're going to stop cooperating. They need one second to win the stage from the GC group. So, <laughs> you know, that, this is why with the gap so big and no GC team controlling whatsoever, that really played into the hands of the Fuga de la Fuga people, which is a Chente, one of the DSs for Movistar Special. Jorgensen, yeah, gets stung in the helmet by B. I think he was asking for antihistamines. This was, I think, before the attacks. Yep. And then Jorgensen goes clear. And then a, a second group is, for, is on the road of Dela Cruz, Paulus, Bergado, I think, mm -hmm. and Morich. And that group is not really working that well. Like Morich is doing Morich things where he's accelerating a lot, stopping, accelerating, stopping, yep. that sort of semi-attack straight up attacking the group there's these little rises as well where mm -hmm. i think jorgensen got away and so palace is getting frustrated with him he wants to get a clear woods is losing a lot of time though because now astana have a rider up the road in dela cruz so lutschenko is not pulling behind and movistar have jorgensen ahead so gorka Izagira isn't pulling and ef have got pals one of the stronger riders and so is and Bergado's ahead, so PLO2 won't pull. So is Berte, it was basically up to Berte, Woods, and Campanarts, and the UNOX rider, uh, Gregard, to pull. And it's like, they're not good. they just lost so much time. And I thought Woods is losing the stage right here. To be clear, the gaps were at that point when we're starting the last climb, the Pre-de-Dome climb, where the differences can be collapsed easier by the real climbers. Jorgensen ahead, solo. Then 55 seconds to Paulus Mohoric and Burgodo. De La Cruz had lost time. Was that because of a puncture? De La Cruz dropped his chain and yep. then they tried to get it back on. It was on a quick descent. It was the descent into Puerto Dome. He tried to stay with the group. And then he eventually, the mechanic leaned out and I was like, you are going to rip your fingers off on live television if you touch that chain. Illegal, the, by the way. Yeah, I think, well, he was going to and then he stopped. He was going to and then he stopped. And then he, I think, changed bike or whatever. Yep. And that, But then he's, then he's in a chasse. He's just sat just in front of the, the Lushenko group. So... Both of them are really going nowhere. And so, yeah, Jorgensen starts that climb, the Puy de Dome. This is the full climb, by the way, with over two minutes on the Woods group. Fortunately for him, Victor Campanas just got on the front of that group and just started driving it. Yep. And I was like, why? <laughs> like, I mean... What else does he have to do here? Try and get the best possible stage result for himself. Possibly. Maybe he thinks that peloton, by pacing he can drop catch. people. Maybe, maybe he wanted to... Did he beat the peloton? I don't know, man. Yeah, he beat the peloton by three minutes. <laughs> so he didn't. He, there is no, there is no reasonable explanation for why Campanarts will pull yeah. pull Mike Woods on the descent in the first start. He pulled him on the first part of the Puerto Dome. Now this is the seven percent section. Here, Jorgensen's very strong. He holds the gap stable to that group. 
Palace, Morich, and Co. just attack each other. Palace first attacks, then Morich goes clear. And I thought Jorgensen had it at this point because Campanats pulls off Benji, and I'm like, it's still two minutes, 150. Yeah. There's no one pulling in group two, group three now on the road. Group two is just split everywhere. I don't think Morich is going to drop Jorgensen. And he's looking good. And it looks like an American victory, Benji. It looked even like, you know, Sepp Kuss was looking fresh in the back as well. It could be a great day for America. Mike Woods, do you think Mike Woods knew that the gap was comfortable or he just had no choice? And because in, in the end, it looks like perfect timing. <laughs> I think he had no choice, man. Yeah. I think if he was in the third group on two minutes, I saw 16 at some point in the first three kilometers of the climb, then he was probably thinking, fuck, I'm in fuck here. There's no way I'm getting to the front anymore. But the thing is, those last four kilometers are so bloody good for this man. Like, it's ideal. We mentioned yesterday as one of the most likely candidates to win from the breakaway that the Woods candidate is so good on this finish, yeah. but that he hasn't been able to get in the break in Muddy Blanc, for example, because he was too close in GC. But now he's far enough in GC to do this. And he's in the breakaway, but then this happens. And we get towards the steeper sections. And that's where we saw start seeing some weakness in, in Jorgensen, but not directly by Woods, because Woods was still off camera behind. Mohoric was closing in. And nice. I did not expect Mohoric to be anywhere near this victory. Well, that's when it was clear that Jorgensen was in big, big trouble. Because if he's losing this much time to Mohoric, now he's not he's just bleeding time gradually. It just the seconds just tick down from 106 and it just went down a second a second a second a second and suddenly it's at 40 seconds and at the same time you have mike woods's look now the camera work i don't think because there's three camera bikes i think camera bike on jorgensen camera bike on morich camera bike on peloton and so the woods group was barely shown like i have no yeah. idea when he attacked i have no idea who pulled that group before i, I don't know but woods we saw in the distance 30 seconds behind Morich on the steep ramps, but he looked close because it's so steep. And he's coming back. And now we're like, is Woods going to crack himself because he left himself too much to do and he's having to come back this much? But in the end, he just gets up to Morich, straight drops him, off the wheel, bang, gone. And then with 1.5Ks or 1K to go, he only needed 21 seconds on Jorgensen and then it was done. 1K at 12%, 11.5%. He put that into Jorgensen easily because that's still going to take them about, I don't know, four minutes at this point. So, uh, yeah, Woods gets up to Jorgensen's wheel, attacks, and you just see Jorgensen's shoulders slump. Um, I can imagine. Yeah. After being in the Fuga de la Fuga for so long and to have Mike Woods come back. And, yeah, without Campanats, Woods probably doesn't win. Uh, but a big, big day for North America was between Woods and, and Jorgensen. Mike Woods wins the stage the second I mean, Israel have been really good in the tour the last couple of years. They win a stage in week one on Peter Dome with Mike Woods, a lot of UCI points too. And Piela Tour and Morich. Piela Tour came out of nowhere, only finished 28 seconds back. That was crazy. He was in yeah. the Woods group and he actually went past Bergado. Morich actually just sprinted past Jorgensen, who didn't even finish on the podium. I dare say he got a bit demoralized when Woods passed him and Morich kept chugging away. But heartbreak for Jorgensen, but... A really good battle from the break, Benji, actually. Yeah, I believe so as well, because that comeback was so intense. And this was one of the most impressive breakaway victories of the year. I think if I had to add another one to the mix was the Magnus scored breakaway win, where he just was about to get caught by the peloton and then launched with 400 meters to go in some French early season race. Might have been Bessage, I'm not sure about it. But that was also one where I put up there. But this stage was super impressive, being two minutes back. 
not even at the start of the climb, but like two and a half kilometers into the climb. And then being able to make that up towards the end of the climb on a rider that, yeah, is suffering, but still is a top rider. eh? Matteo Jorgensen is going to Jumbo Visma most likely. And looking at the situation, I don't know. I feel like, yeah. Could he have done this already before? As in, could he have won Marie Blanc already? Uh, I mean, he tried getting in breakaways, I think. I mean, he's, he's been trying. Yeah, but what he was he... super close, eh? Yeah. He was on 55 seconds, I swear, on Marie Blanc stage. You always said Woods. Uh, Woods. Oh, uh, Woods. Yeah, no, no, Woods, 100% agree. Um, and that's the thing, though. They have to get forced into this position. Like, he came fifth and sixth on the first. Like, was Mike Woods ever going for GC at this race? Realistically, no. Like, what was their plan? I think he saw the first two stages. I think a lot of riders should have those first two stages, try and go for the stage by being in the GC group because that was the most likely way to win stage one, for example. But then if you go further, you see that stage five is an opportunity. Lose time on a bloody sprint yeah, stage. Yeah, lose time on stage three or four. And then you can get in the break to Laurent. And you're right, like, who won that stage? Hinley. Yeah. Well, oops. <laughs> Maybe Woods doesn't beat him. That'd be tough. Um, but yeah, magnificent fight from the breakaway. Teams in there and quick step will be ruined. I don't think Alaphilippe beats Woods on this finish anyway, frankly, like given Woods' yep. form. There's not many guys except for maybe a goal or I don't know. There's a reason Woods was like the third favorite for this stage, yep. uh, which is very, very short for the breakaway guy. He was the next guy after Vingard and Pogacar for this stage. But anyway, big, big for Israel Premier Tech. Back to the GC group. Basically, nothing happens. Fight for position into the base of Puerto Dome. Um, they're 16 minutes back. Obviously, they claw that in. UAE actually and Ineos wave over Yumbo and Yumbo, who had Mate. maintained good position. DSM. DSM. Niels Ekhoff put Bardet in good position. I apologize. But yeah, Yumbo were nowhere. It was just Vingegaard at the front. And all of a sudden, Wout Van Aert comes back to the front and he starts pacing the 5K 7.5% section. So they were obviously trying to turn the stage, the climb into the longest climb mm-hmm. possible. And. Yeah, he was setting a decent pace, Benji, but it wasn't, like, infernal. Like, there was still Danny Van Poppel there. There was still a pretty big group for a long time until maybe Kelsman pulled at the end. And it was still, like, multiple teams still had multiple riders. Like, UAE still had three or four, and Ineos still had three at that point. I do have to fully expose you now, because we were watching this together, and when Danny Van Poppel showed up on the screen, you shouted something that he was Belgian. Did you really think Von Poppel was Belgian? I mean, I actually did, yeah. I kind of did. <laughs> I w- I've always thought he's Belgian. I don't know why. Is boy Van Poppel Belgian? <laughs> no. Is that his brother? Yeah, it is. And what's his dad, Jean-Paul? That was a good, good sprinting guy. One of the first sprinters with an actual full lead out. Is Baptist Plancard Belgian? Yes. Yeah, see, they're all much of a muchness to me. See, the, the, <laughs> these Intermarche, the Intermarche guys, I just assume they're Belgian. And he, to me, Van Poppel's an Intermarche rider. I still haven't acclimatized to him at, uh, at Bora Hansgrohe. So when Jumbo Fismar came to the front, Tombala, Van Aert, Gelderman, then Jonas Vingegaard as well on the wheel, obviously, we, we see that. Sepp Kuskan moves up on the left side, completely flies past everyone. Yeah. It was really impressive to see, obviously, to move himself in the wheel or in the, in the train of... Uh, of Jonas there, and we see from that point onwards, it's first Van Bala, then Van Aert, like you said, then Kelderman takes over, and it switches back to Van Aert, yeah. and then back to Kelderman. Why? 
So Kelderman does the steeper sections and then there's this false flat section, as I said, and that's where you want Van Aert to pull because he's a ruler yeah. and can pull there and you save Kelderman for the steeper section later. So, but as I said, the group, we've got Soler in third wheel, Vingegaard and Pogaccio were sitting deeper in the group. So they, with that flat section before the steep section, they were trying not to, both of them not to take too much win. We saw Pogaccio's mm -hmm. teammates doing a really, really good job. All of them, they got all their bid-ons, every one of them, because there was the last bid-on collection and they were pouring water over him. It was a hot day, obviously. Vingegaard was there with Kuz. Kelderman comes back. And... To be honest, I didn't really, I didn't see any GC rider dropping at all on the first half of the climb. Uh, O'Connor slipping was the only thing that really happened. Yeah, true. O'Connor was slipping and we saw some riders just like at the back of the group and so forth, but nothing really that shouted, okay, this rider is completely uh, exploded and all of the back on this climb so far. So everything was about to come down to that real steep portion towards the end, the same steep portion that Woods used to get to Jorgensen. And that's what roughly... 4.5 to 4 kilometers to go where Sepkus starts taking over. Sepkus, GCkus is on, he's on there, but he starts pacing and we did not see much from the breakaway at this point. Let's be honest about it. The second that, well, the second that Woods crossed the line, we saw Rider 2 cross the line, then Rider 3, then Rider 4, then we saw an interview with Woods, then we saw the Prix de Dome from the helicopter, then we saw Rider 6, Rider 7, Rider 8, then we switched back to the GC group. Kus, Fingergaard, Porgy, Simon Yates, Carlos Rodriguez, Tom Pitcock, yeah, and Adam Pitcock. Yates. You say Hindley was there as well? Yeah. And Hin right. yeah, Hindley was in third position though, so take note of that. And it, as I said, like the, the, whatever producer's decision to show panoramic footage, like no one, no offense to like Jonas Gregard or Bergado or Luchenko, yeah. but like they're coming seventh, eighth, and ninth on the stage, and it's the Puy de Dome, and you put it here for the GC action. Now, of course, show Woods winning the stage, and even show the guys coming second and third as they cross, if you must, but yeah, showing, showing eighth crossing the line was a bit much, and everyone was begging, yeah, to watch the GC guys battle it out, because when Koos is doing a lead out, you think something, you know, something's going to happen, and nothing really did happen. Yeah. That was the thing. Nothing did happen. He's pacing, he's pacing, he's pacing. Hinley slides. Hinley slides to the back. Hinley gets dropped. Adam Yates slides. He goes to the back and he gradually gets dropped too. So Yates and Hinley dropped. Uh, Adam, that is. Simon Yates is in second wheel. He slides back. Pidcock starts moving up, actually, on the right-hand side, on the open side. And then eventually, I think Pidcock started pacing harder because... They were getting Rodriguez, moving him closer to the podium, and Koos basically dropped. Yeah, I feel like it was a combination of Koos stopping pacing that triggered Pitcock to move up and start pacing again. Because at a certain point, Koos kind of lowered his tempo, was talking to Jonas for a bit, and then dropped. And then on the right side, we see Pitcock moving up, but that tempo seemingly wasn't super high compared to what other riders wanted to do. Because from that point on, we saw attacks. And I think Simon Yates was one of the ones that attacked early as well. He went, well, he went, and then Pitcock jumped on the wheel, and then Pogacar jumped on that wheel, then Vingegaard closed Pogacar. But then eventually, I feel like Simon Yates tried that one more time, but then one of the big two would attack, right? Yes, Yates, a big acceleration. He kept it going this time. The first mm -hmm. one was a little dab. Ineos basically don't react to this one, and they just, I don't know, they didn't really show what Ineos did at that point. Yeah. Um, and yeah, here comes the big counterattack from Pagacha. He goes, Vingegaard's in the wheel, and he's in the wheel, and he's looking good, he's looking good, and then Pagacha keeps it going, and then suddenly 
and this is here's the really key thing I think when the pace is slow, mm-hmm. and so it happened on Colteray, where the pace slowed down, Lingard stops. The pace slowed down, Yates had attacked and stopped. When Pogacar hits Vingegaard with his 20, he hits him with like a 25-second burst. I think for Vingegaard to follow that hurts Vingegaard yep. way more than Pogacar. And it's almost like Vingegaard shouldn't even follow initially and should go back to his like, I'm a you know, steady-state climber and just pace this, this long time to go. I can claw it back because Colteray, that's not possible because Colteray then flattened off. You want to be in the draft. This is different. This is 13% all the way to the line. And I think that initial burst from Poggy basically creates the gap. Well, it didn't, it didn't really, but I think it puts Jonas into a lot of difficulty. Yeah. And then the gap goes from basically, it just inches out like really slowly. So you can't say that Vingegaard, he didn't full crack mm-hmm. because he was off the wheel for quite a long time, maybe a kilometer or longer, like quite a long time. But yeah, Poggy's just looking good and pacing and pacing and pacing and Vingegaard's not getting any closer. And then we're wondering, is yellow in play? And yeah, I was, I was surprised. But so, yeah, it's another top performance from Pogaccia. When Pogaccia made that attack, you're right. That I, I agree with your theory that maybe the reason that Vingegaard has trouble with these attacks is because it launches from a slow tempo. Pogaccia does his uh, brutal attack. And then Vingegaard is in the red a bit. And then when Pogaccia keeps on pushing it, he doesn't have that reflection of being able yeah. to follow anymore because he was on the wheel initially. Like He was, He was yeah. on the wheel. It took him 10 seconds until he was on a bit of a gap. Yeah. And then he was on 5 meters for 30 seconds. He was yeah. on 10 meters for 30 seconds again. And I was like, Jesus, this is intense because I was like, is he going to get back? He looks like he's getting back on this screen. But one second later, he, he looks like he's not getting back. And one second later, I have hope again for Pog- Vingegaard. And the next uh, second, I, I see Pogacar sliding away again. And it's like, on one end, you want that initial separation if you're Pogacar. Yeah. On one end, you want to prevent that if you're Vingegaard. But what if Vingegaard does something when Kuz is off the front? Because, like, on one end, it's likely that he gets countered afterwards. Let's say Vingegaard attacks if Kuz is off the front in that group. Because that's what you'd expect, right? Is Vingegaard not attacking a sign for Pogacar that Vingegaard is scared? I think so. I think I think Pogac is always going to try, right? So yep. you know he's always going to try, and he obviously he's going to try his burst. I've never really seen Pogac attack and get countered before. Um, yep. So when he does attack, he must feel good. I, maybe he has, if I if I don't remember exactly. But yeah. usually he drops people. <laughs> yeah, usually he drops people. Um, anyway, I thought. It was going to be Colteray 2.0. Mm-hmm. So I was actually very surprised that in the end, Pogaccia keeps going. Vingegaard still has something left, and Pogaccia, quote-unquote, only takes eight seconds on Jonas Vingegaard at this finish. And I thought it could have been much worse. I thought when he initially gapped Vingegaard, and then Vingegaard has the Colteray issue, that he would be losing a lot more time. And he actually keeps the yellow jersey. So an interesting stage. Um, was it like the... Weeder Dome. I mean, maybe the organizers would hope GC went for it, but they didn't, and we got two fights. So Woods wins the stage ahead of Latour, Morich third, Jorgensen fourth, then Berte Powers, Lutschenko, Gregard. In terms of GC, Pogaccia first from the GC guys, eight seconds ahead of Vingegaard, then a big gap. So the two guys were head and shoulders above the rest. Pogaccia 50 seconds ahead of Yates, Simon that is, and Thomas Pidcock, who actually goes with Simon Yates. There might have been a bit of cat and mouse. 
Carlos Rodriguez, actually, he was a, two, uh, a minute behind Vingegaard. So he got a little bit dropped by Simon uh, and Adam. And, oh, Simon and Pidcock, the two Yates are confusing. And then Adam Yates, another seven seconds behind Carlos Rodriguez. Hinley would lose to his podium bidders, to Simon, his mm-hmm. uh, Yates. He lost 23 seconds. So Hinley lost a bit of his advantage. And then the rest of the GC guys lost loads of time. When it comes to Carlos Rodriguez, I see some, some talk on social media. Why does Pitcock not wait on the, on the final stretch of the finish line when Rodriguez is dropping from the wheel of Pitcock and uh, one of the Yatesies? Well, obviously, it's super steep. Do you reckon, how much do you reckon draft matters on a climb like this at that point? Um, I mean, like, yeah, what? A two, a what or two, a what or three? Like, yeah, it maybe matters a little bit. And, and pacing, they've done studies to show that psychologically pacing, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, because... Yeah, you, you do it in the wind tunnel and 12%, and it's like, okay, there's no real drafting advantage here. But then they do actual studies in real life where yep. people have someone pace them on a steep climb, and they always perform better with someone pacing them. So it for sure makes a difference. Um, but in the last K, when everyone's going full gas, I know, I think there might have been a little bit of games, though, with, with the Simon Yates, Peacock, and Rodriguez group. But big day for any else. I mean, yeah, they're not up with Vingegaard and Pagacha, but they were... This was a surprising performance from Pidcock, I would say. Um, yeah, better certainly. than I expected. One of the best GC days of his career, I'd say, and kind of gives me hope for GC Pidcock in the future, gotta be honest. Like his time trials yeah. leading up to this Tour de France have been relatively awful. Like he's had good time trials in the past, but not recent. And then to see what he's doing here after what looked like a, a mess start to the Tour de France GC wise for Pidcock, he's doing a lot better to, at the moment than. If he keeps up this progress throughout the Tour de France, yeah. he might be at the top step at the end. <laughs> exactly, yeah. If he keeps, if he proves like this, I mean, he lost three minutes on Tourmalet, but so did, you know, that was with most yeah. of the GC group because they got gapped on Tourmalet and then the gap blew out to the yeah. two head, head guys. So GC, revised GC standings, Vingegaard 17 seconds ahead of Pagacha, Hindley on 240, so he loses a little bit of his advantage, but not t- nothing, nothing too disastrous. The gap, obviously, between first, second, the two ahead, and Hindley grows a lot. Rodriguez on 4.22, Adam on 4.39, Simon Yates 4.44. So Simon Yates would still be in fourth if he hadn't had that crash yesterday. And also yep. I wonder how that affected him. But So no changes in the top six. And then Pidcock jumps two positions. He finishes on, he's on 5.26 and seventh. Gadu uh, got dropped quite badly. He got paced by Pino. He finished with Menkes. He's on 6.01 on eighth. Kuss moves up to ninth and Bardet drops another two positions to six uh, to 10th on 6.58. So not a good day for the French uh, climbers, Gaudu and Bardet. They're almost getting to the point, both of them now, where they're, they can get in the breakaway. Uh, yep. At six minutes and seven minutes, Gaudu and Bardet back in, the, in week two and three. So it'll be interesting to see, because it's not just that Gaudu's losing time, but he doesn't look as strong as the two Ineos guys, nor the Yates brothers, nor Hinley. So... Um, it'll be interesting to see how Group Armour play the rest of, and Bardet, in fact, for DSM, how they play the rest of the two weeks. Exactly, because we've seen scenarios before in previous Tour de France that riders can use the last week, breakaways in the last week, whether it's on like a Courchevel stage, probably difficult on that stage to gain time there on many of your competitors for top five, but they can find stages where they can gain time on top five competitors by going in the breakaway, and that's what a lot of riders should be doing, not just Gaudu and Bardet, but I feel like Bilbao was in the perfect space for that on 7.37 right now. Mankis isn't really that rider, I think. He's done that before in the Vuelta, but I feel like in the Tour, I'm not sure that will work out for him. I feel like he's the follower of the GC group and hopes that it's all right. Yeah. And um, 
Where is Mankey's on? He is on 12th, 8.50 down. He's going to get in a breakaway. He, he definitely will try. Yeah. But whether that will work or not, I guess we'll see. Bookman also in a good spot, but I think he should probably work for Hindley's podium at this point. Bill Bow's going to work his way in yeah. to the top 10. He always finishes top 10. Um, points jersey, Philipson, healthy lead into the first rest yeah. day. KOM, because the breakaway went all the way and because Paulus ended up, you know, he took some points, I think, in sixth because it was an all-category climb. Um, he actually, well, Pagacha and the GC guys lost positions. In fact, Woods moves yep. above all those guys because he took the full 20. So that goes to show how important the, the big climbs are. Like, yep. feasting on the small ones isn't that useful. Pagacha, obviously, four minutes ahead of Rodriguez. Bahrain, Bahrain always go for teams. Bahrain, the leading teams classification. They jump uh, two positions. They always go for it. The new Movistar. I hadn't really thought of teams, to be honest. Um, yeah. Anyway, any other thoughts from this stage, Benji? Is the Tour de France over? Is, <laughs> is Pagaccio just getting stronger and, you know, dropping Jonas on a climb like this very, very steep? And, you know, it's not a two-minute climb or a five-minute climb. It's a 15-minute steep effort on Puy de Dome. Uh, are you, yeah, how do you see the relative strengths of the two top guns now? First of all, the Tour de France is never over. We've got yeah. a situation of 17 seconds in between in GC. That's nothing. That could go away in a single mountain stage. In a single time trial, even, you don't know what's going to happen in a time trial. For example, Pogacar got sniped past got in the time trial if he has a good time trial when Vingar has a, yeah. a met time trial. It can happen on every single stage that is somewhat GC-related. That being said, I think it's also one of the closest GCs after stage 9 we've seen in recent history. Last year was about 39 seconds, if my memory serves me right. It was two minutes or something on Vingar, no, on O'Connor from Pogacar yeah. after Tinia two years ago, and the rest I can't be bothered remembering. So it's a situation that is racking up to be one of the closest Tour de France's, hopefully, that we've seen recently. They're very close. So level, yeah. I feel like if I look at the next couple of stages that are coming, the likes of a, a Grand Colombier mountain stage, for example, that is the kind of stage where I don't expect major gaps in the first place. So I don't expect major gaps, but I expect UAE to pace for the stage win that yeah, day. For the bonus seconds, yeah. maybe. Maybe Pogacar gets a bit closer again. Yeah. But then the next stage, like uh, the Morzin stage, the one where you have the combination uh, of the Podden climb, Jouplen, with uh, Ramos in front of it, that's a stage that could be like a hidden GC stage, a stage that could truly be, be a GC stage with a breakaway fighting out maybe in front, or you never know. But that's one of the stages where the differences can be made again. So we're looking at roughly five stages until, until we see proper gaps in the, in the GC again. So it's the last eight days of this tour that will decide the Tour de France, which... I like that. I like when the Tour de France has decided in the last eight days instead of the first week, for example, uh, in 2021. Yeah. <laughs> and all oh, the gap last year, yeah, 39 seconds with Pogacar leading. So it's interesting, isn't it? The momentum's a big thing. Yeah. Like the momentum feels all Pogacar's way right yeah. now, but he's actually, Vingegaard is 54 seconds better, in, in a better, 54 second better position than he was last year at yeah. this time. Um, but the momentum is... Uh, the problem is Pagacha had the lead last year and he'd also not been dropped. He'd also won two stages already in the first week. So, yeah, are we, we're not doing a rest day podcast tomorrow. We're taking an actual rest day. But, yeah, uh, before we preview stage 10 and give our picks for that one. When it comes to Pogacha and uh, Vingegaard, I, I also feel like I have a harder time figuring out where this Tour de France is going to go from this point onwards. Because last year, we knew second week the the large climbs were going to happen. And we knew at that point that Vingegaard was looking better for those climbs, but we didn't necessarily know if that was going to be enough to overthrow Pogacar 
for the entire Tour de France. But when I look at this Tour de France, I'm like, yeah, based on that theory, then Code La Lore should work out for Vingegaard. But I feel like Pogacar is, has fought back in a way that I also didn't expect after stage five when he dropped on Marie Blanc and lost a minute. So uh, it's like you don't know what to trust anymore when it comes to the, the assumptions we had after previous races. Does that make any sense for you while you're killing that fly? Yeah, to get that one, he's been irritating me, distracting me all podcasts. They harass me. They know, they know that they wind me up. Um, yeah, like, will Pogacar keep this level for the whole Tour de France? Because, yeah, what happened on Marie Blanc? How did he get dropped so badly on Marie mm -hmm. Blanc? Um, it was a longer... Because the thing is, again, the steep section of Puy de Dome today was shorter than Marie Blanc overall, but then Puy de Dome overall, they would have done very, very hard. So, you know, Pogacar obviously very, very, very strong and, yeah, in top, top form, top physical form. So... I don't want to hear no, no wrist excuses. I think he's even taken the wrist. He's got the brace off, right? I haven't checked. I've seen on his... I think he's got nothing on. He's just riding with his gloves. Um, so, yeah. It's, it's locked, but I would say, yeah, momentum is all UAE and Pagash's way, and they didn't have to do anything today, actually. It's one of the first times I can remember where, yep. apart from um, Tourmalet, obviously, <laughs> where, where uh, Jonas set him up. But that's, yeah, Jumbo Visma have done... They did the work or set up the... I mean... Were Jumbo Visma wrong, Benji, for trying to make this a long climb? I don't think so. Because, like, I would expect that to go into the advantage of Vingegaard based on previous races. But yeah. it's also not a climb that is 55 minutes, you know? So, yes, the last portion is hard. It's probably a 35-minute climb. I don't know how long they did over it. I reckon 33, uh, 33 minutes. Yeah, it's over 30 minutes. Yeah. So, it's not like the 50-minute climb that we see... Uh, what, we, what, what climb was it last year again? Um, the one before Galibier, for example. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that's a fucking long climb. Tourmalet is a long climb. Yeah. This climb is hard, and it's a bit shorter than that. So it's kind of in the middle ground where Pogacar can still... Uh, I don't know. How it, much do they rest in the middle of it? I don't know. Like, because, yeah, is it, do they really rest? Does it make a difference? It surely makes a difference to fly a bit in the middle. I don't know. Um, how much do you reckon the, the spent energy before the climb counts for either of them? I mean, in theory, like the heat hurts Pogacar, right? But I don't even know if that's true. Pogacar's performed well in like yeah. Puy Marie in 2020. Uh, it's not like he just completely crum crumbles every time it's over 30 degrees. Yeah. It's certainly if you're, if you're having a bad day and you mess something up, nutrition or fueling or drink-wise, then yeah, it's going to be tough for you, um, tougher for you in the heat than a mild 15 degrees. So I don't know. It, it's tough to say. Like, you can try and see patterns everywhere, but honestly, like, Peter Dome, they haven't really done an effort like that before head-to-head -head against each other because even Marie Blanc wasn't, wasn't like that. But yeah, week mm. two. Was today a disappointment in terms of GC action? Because I swear not much happened in hindsight. I mean, for the first six positions, for no change in the first six positions, and for GC not to win, yeah, I would. I was, I mean, it wasn't terrible. People yeah. went for it, yeah. you know. Coos yeah. reduced to five, and then there was a tax, and then Pogaccia counted, and then there was a, a gap. So it's nothing, not like nothing happened, but was it the the Ankatil, Pulador, barnstorming thing they might have hoped for, for before the first rest day? No. But, you know, even if there was, they wouldn't have shown it on TV anyway because they were showing Clement Berthe crossing the line in seventh. So <laughs> maybe, maybe we're glad it didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> um, as I said, because we'll, we'll do our preview of stage 10 now. It's stage 10 from Volcania to Issoire, 168 Ks. I dare say this will be very hot. It's in the middle of France.
coming out Vulcania is I think just near Puy de Dome, like just because it's on the west of Clermont-Ferrand and isn't Puy de Dome a volcano anyway? Is that why you're referring to it as being close because Vulcania has Vulcan in the name and Puy de Dome is a volcano? Yes, that's exactly <laughs> why. And I can see Perfect it on, logic. And I can see it on a map. <laughs> it's just west of Clermont-Ferrand. Um, break. Yeah, 100% break stage. Like no one's going to chase it. I mean, if Trek thought yesterday was going to be a break. Yeah. And then we're going to try and get Pedersen in the break on that stage to Limoges. Then this is a break. I mean, it opens with 5Ks, 5% up and down. Descent, lumpy all day. Actually, virtually no flat in the stage at all with just medium mountain climbs. Mark here, she would have won this in 2020 probably. Or well, Conrad or Colbrelli. Yeah, it's got... And then the, the last climb is 6.6Ks, 5.5%. Powerless should take the day off here, I think, because... Even though the stage suits in the KOM points, there's not enough on offer to merit the energy. And I think we'll get rolled anyway. The finish is flat, though. Uh, there's a descent from the last climb, about 16Ks of descending, and mostly it's flat finishing in Issoire. So, nailed on break. Fort will be in it. I think Pedersen will try and get in it. Quinn Simmons would have probably got in this break, but he went home this morning because of his injuries, unfortunately. But yeah, Wout Van Aert will be the favourite, I think, for this stage. And I think Vanderpool will jump in the break, too. I think so as well, and I think we'll have that scenario where Wout van Aert is in the breakaway, Matthew van der Poel is in the breakaway, Kort is in the breakaway, and everybody realizes that these are faster men, and then someone like Mohoric will subtly slip away and ride off into the distance and win the stage. Like, I swear that we, we had that scenario before, right? We had that in 2021, one of the stage seven, I'm pretty sure it was, I'm not 100% certain, but that was the kind of scenario, and yeah, Mohoric wins the stage that way. I mean, he looked good today. I mean, he came third on the Puy de Dome finish. Yeah. And that's super steep. He, he was coming back to Jorgensen. So I think we'll see Jorgensen. I think we'll see a lot of the guys who are on the break today back yeah. in the break. I think we're going to see double Israel. Like, why wouldn't we see double Israel in this breakaway? Dylan Turns. Um, yeah. Woods, I don't see it for him. Simon Clark is a really... Chris Nalens, this suits him. Well, even Corbin Strong and Schultz. So Israel will have two. It's going Seven to, riders in the break. Yeah, maybe. It's going to be a break of 20, I think, at least. Yeah. And Quickstep got to make this. Philippe has to make this break with a, with a partner. Um, like, has to, because he has a really, really good chance to win this stage yeah. if he conserves his energy. And, and I think Madawas for FDJ, I'd love to see him and Kung in there too. So um, I'm going with Michal Kwiatkowski to win this stage. I think he <laughs> looks really, really good. He was in this break in Cauteray, and his result there didn't belie his actual strength. So I think Kwiatkowski wins the stage, and I think Ineos... They want a stage win, so I, I think he'll he'll get in there. He should try and get in there with the. Uh, no, they won't put two in because there's they'll worry about GC. So it'll just be Quieto, but he's smart. Yep, I think that's a good pick. Shouldn't Betty all win this or like be good on this? He should be good on this, but like I, he probably I think Quieto is a better lot, on right? this. Betty all, like he won RVV. Yeah, and there's all these stages. Like you think, and he listen, he might go and win this stage, but he's very. You can never like with some riders like. Okay, Wout Van Aert's a special beast. You say, okay, Wout Van Aert will be getting this breakaway most likely. You can guess that. But, you know, like Betty, he might not even try. And you're like, why? Like, it's really, I mean, maybe he's been targeting it and he's like, this stage suits me and he'll get in. I don't know. But he's, he's a very difficult rider, Betty Old, to pick yep. when he's good and when he's going to be jumping in. Fred Wright, could be him. Yeah, in British 100% be him. Yeah, Fred Wright too. Anyway, that's our picks. Uh, otherwise, in other news, Benji and I, inspired by Puy de Dome, we did our own little little mountain test today, but it was 5K, 6%, not 5K, 11%. Uh, 
up to PAL. We just wanted to test ourselves out, so we thought we'd fill you in on that. Um, what did you end up doing, Benji? What was the improvement? The improvement when it comes to my ride. The thing is, like, yeah. I, I got to add some context. Here, okay, right? give some context. I started this kind of journey of jumping into cycling and becoming a better cyclist towards roughly December, end of December, something like that. And I had an FTP test, which you can find on YouTube if you want. I had that in end of December somewhere where I did a 20 minute FTP test where the result was 201 watts for, for 20 minutes, which resulted in an FTP of 190 watts. So pretty shit for a guy of my weight. Let's be honest about it. And throughout these six months, I've, I've done training, I've done challenges left and right to try and get better at cycling and to try and see improvement. Then I've noticed improvement along the way. I've done ramp tests every now and then to see the results. And going into today's ride, those five kilometers, 6%, I, I was hoping that I would get a result similar to the, to the tests I've done indoor because indoor tests, like the ramp test I did indoors, I had a result of 257 watts, but I don't really 100% trust the, that's the ramp last, tests. That was your FTP. Yeah, that was my FTP in a, in a ramp test, but I, I didn't feel like I could replicate that on the road. And I was hoping that I would get relatively close to that because I was expecting my FTP to be somewhere around 230, 240 at this point in my, in my journey. And I went on the road, I, I, I smashed the pedals, I was dying left and right, and the result was, uh, I think I broke my 15 minute, my 20 minute, my 30 minute, and my 45 minute power. And to, to note, we didn't even ride for 45 minutes all out, so yeah. I must have never gone 45 minutes all out before either, because otherwise I, I wouldn't get that. But to be able to break those records and for those records to be, I think 20 minutes, 244 watts and 30 minutes, 241 watts is a, a major improvement in six months. So I'm really, really happy. And uh, yeah, I hope it can continue. How'd you, you paced it? Yeah, you paced it pretty well. I shouted at you a little bit. Um, yeah, I feel like the first half I did at, was it 241, 243 watts? And then the second half, which had the steeper section, I paced at 241 watts, which... I was dying in the last like kilometer. You saw it, you were in my wheel. Like I, w I was terrible in, in that situation. So I, I was trying to hold 200 at that point, but I, I paced hard at the initial part of the steep section at the end to the point that I could afford going 220 by the end. But yeah, I'm happy about my pacing. Maybe there's some perfection that can happen if I negative split it a bit more, but I was just trying to survive, man. Yeah, I mean, yeah, good improvement from you. I don't really know where my, like, I haven't really done a test recently. So I was pretty happy with it. I paced, I think I did first, I did, what, 1940. And mm -hmm. yeah, the first nine minutes were 245. And then I, I went, I think the last, I did 280 for the last eight minutes. So I, uh, 240 and 280 is a little bit lopsided. Did 260. I have no idea what I weigh. The scales broke. Not because I, I didn't break them, like, myself. They just, they, <laughs> there's, water got into them or they malfun malfunctioned. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, maybe. Um, but yeah, I was pretty happy with that. Um, we'll see. So in the Vuelta, we'll go, we're going to keep training. Mm -hmm. um, obviously use two bid-ons because that made me go slower. So then when we do the test again, when you're here for the Vuelta, I can, um, I'll go quicker just by default. Is that what you had, why you had like seven bricks in your back pocket? Yeah, exactly. That explains a lot. <laughs> I thought it would have gone like this 300 break, watts, mate. This break was rubbing, everything going wrong. But yeah. I, I was really sad that I didn't see on your one meter bike going, what is I, it? How many watts for 50 seconds? 1500 watts 50 seconds yeah but i can't hold it this is longer <laughs> than a 50 second climb that's the problem so yeah whilst i can do that um anyway we'll have the video on the lrcp youtube channel tomorrow of that if you want to check that out that'll be a little bit of rest day content for you that's why we, we preluded this i should have preluded this story with that yeah we'll have a video of that if you 
You're bored on your rest day. You want to see people in Tour de France condition uh, climbing up mountains. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's my last day here oh, in yeah? Andorra. I'm, I'm leaving you. So tomorrow we'll be, well, no, two days from now, we'll be separated screens again, which is unfortunate. I had fun here. Yeah, it's been good to have you all here. Let us know. Do you enjoy the podcast when we're in person more? Um, do, you, do you feel they're different? How are they different? I'm sure people enjoyed the watch-alongs. Mm-hmm. You know, let us know your, your feedback on how it is in person and maybe, you know, for the world. Well, we'll do it for the first week of the world for sure, but we'll, we'll see, you know. So maybe for other races or classics next year as well, we can keep expanding it if you think it's a real addition to the podcast. But, yeah, thanks for your support. It's been a, a really, really good first week of the tour, actually, filled with action. I've been really happy with it, and the GC is still close. So really great stuff. And we'll see you on Tuesday with the recap of that breakaway stage. Until then, ciao. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.